You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. First Timothy chapter 5, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're glad that you have uh, joined to decided to join us online today. Uh, we have uh, picked up some new folks, uh, some folks in Japan, uh, Argentina. Uh, if you're watching today, we're glad that you're with us. Uh, I think we have something like 12 or 13 states and I think about 12 to 14 countries that are tuning in on a regular basis now. I'm amazed that you found us, but uh, I believe that, that God was in that. Uh, sovereignly involved in helping you connect with us online. And we would invite you, uh, for those online, to specifically reach out to us. Send us an email. Let us know how you're doing, how we can minister to you. I know we're separated by quite a few miles, but uh, technology has brought us together. So uh, reach out to us, and we'll certainly minister to you as best we can. And we're glad that you're here today as well, and we're glad that you're part of this fellowship. We've been walking through First Timothy, and uh, we, we've been uh, realizing the reality of just how difficult it is for Timothy to minister in this town called Ephesus. Uh, there was a sexual revolution going on, and also the city was completely given to false worship of a false god. And, and everywhere you looked, uh, you saw nothing but darkness um, and ungodliness. And, and here you have Timothy and his church, which is more than likely a house church, maybe two house churches, that is the only gospel presence in the entire city of Ephesus of, of a quarter million people plus. Not only that, but all the people who were flocking to the city to participate in what was going on there in the worship of Diana. So, so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to encourage him, to strengthen him, and to point out the reality that in, in doing gospel work, Great Commission work, in a city like Ephesus, there's going to be all kinds of inherent problems. One of the problems that Paul has already pointed out to Timothy is the fact that Satan is intentionally trying to infiltrate the church with false teaching. We, we found out last week that, that all false teaching, all false teaching, the fountain, fountainhead of, of all of that teaching comes from Satan himself. We found out that it's demonic. Now, that seems like a strong statement, right? That all false teaching has as its fountainhead Satan and, and demonic power. But when you think about it, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Great Commission work we've been given to do, we shouldn't be surprised that Satan would, would want to undermine that. Remember, the Great Commission work, people becoming disciples of Jesus, brings more people into the kingdom and more people who are going to glorify and honor God. Those people are leaving the kingdom of darkness, coming into the kingdom of light, and, and you can imagine that Satan wants to prevent that from happening. So one of the ways that he will do that is to infiltrate the very body that has been set apart for that very work, so that they will compromise their teaching, water down the gospel, so that people, instead of being led to freedom and led to real, true life, are actually misled. Chapter 5 is a very interesting chapter. And one of the reasons that I value um, preaching through a book of the Bible is, is that it, it brings us to text, just like chapter 5, that most often you don't hear a sermon from. Matter of fact, it may be that you've never heard a sermon on the topic that I'm going to talk about today. I can tell you that I've never preached a sermon exactly like this one because of the text and, and, and what it reveals. 
Now, now there are things in this text that are connected culturally directly to Timothy and his church, but there are principles that come out of this text that I think we need to take a look at this morning. I want to draw your attention to the fact that all through the New Testament, there are lots of metaphors, and metaphors are figures of speech, that, that the New Testament writers give to the church. One of the probably most popular ones is, is one that Jesus used. So when Jesus would refer to his followers, he would use the metaphor or the figure of speech that they are his sheep and he is their shepherd. Now that doesn't mean that we're literally sheep, obviously. But, but that's where the metaphor comes in, is it gives us this picture, this imagery of what it means to follow Jesus, that we follow Him, and, and oftentimes uh, we respond to Him a lot like sheep do. Sheep can be rather stubborn. Uh, they can be a little uh, hard-headed. Sheep tend to get themselves in a lot of trouble, requiring a good shepherd that helps them get out of that trouble. So you have that metaphor of, of the sheep, Jesus' followers. But Paul also used some very interesting metaphors for the church. He would describe it as a bride. So in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about that, that Jesus is a bridegroom, that the church of Jesus Christ, those who put their faith in Him and have been changed by Him, are His bride. That, that one day Jesus, the groom, is going to come and, and be united with His bride, that the, the, the bride is to remain pure until that marriage comes to its full consummation in the final kingdom. It talks about that in Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. And it talks about how that your marriage is to be like that marriage between Jesus and His church. But Paul also talked about the church being, well, not only a bride, but also a body. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul goes to great lengths to talk about how that the church is a body and that there's different members of the body. Some are hands, some are feet, some are eyes, some are ears. Everyone has a different role to play within the body of Christ. But when the body of Christ functions together, it is a beautiful, powerful thing that each person has been given a role, a responsibility within the body of Christ. So Paul uses that metaphor to say that the church is the hands and feet of Jesus to continue the mission and the ministry of Jesus while Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. But these, there's other metaphors that we could talk about. Is this how you see the church? Well, one of the metaphors that Paul uses in talking with Timothy is the idea of a household of God. He's already mentioned it in chapter 3, verse 15. He also mentions it in Ephesians 2, which we'll look at in a little bit. That, that the church is the household of God, meaning that the household is a family. Paul, all through the New Testament, all through two-thirds of his writings of the New Testament, over and over again, in every letter that Paul writes, he refers to fellow believers as brothers and sisters. So those who are sitting next to you this morning, those who are authentic followers of Jesus Christ, get this, you are brothers and sisters in the household of God, the family of God. But oftentimes I think we, we view the church in ways that are, are not at all what the Scripture lays out for us. As a matter of fact, I think there's some metaphors on how the church is misunderstood. I think there's some metaphors that help us to understand that there are people even inside the church that view the church completely opposite of what Paul has wrote, what Jesus has said. I think some of us view the church as a gas station. And maybe you've thought like this before. You know, I come to church on Sunday morning to get filled up. Pastor, my spiritual tank is low during the week, and, and so I show up on Sunday morning to get my spiritual tank filled up. Oh, while I understand that and, and I appreciate that, let me, let me 
me push back on that a little bit. You may get your spiritual tank filled here this morning, but I guarantee you by 5 o'clock this afternoon or by noon tomorrow, because of the pressures of the world and the culture and all the, the media that is coming at you, I guarantee you, your tank is going to be sitting on empty by the time you go to bed tonight, or at least by the time you get halfway through your day tomorrow. So what are you going to do then? We're just going to fight through life, fight through the culture, fight through our circumstances, just so we can get back on church on Sunday morning to get our tank filled up again. If you're looking at church as a gas station, then you are missing 90% of what the beauty of the church really is. As a matter of fact, you being part of the family of Christ, you being part of the priesthood, you have a responsibility during the week to engage in worship yourself, to get that tank filled each and every day. As a matter of fact, there are going to be days you're going to need that tank filled up three, four, five times a day. Amen? So if you're waiting on Sunday, you're missing out on the beauty of what it means to be a Christ follower. Number two, maybe you think of the church as a theater. A theater is a place where you go to where, watch others perform. This worship team that just put this worship set together, they're not up here to perform. Matter of fact, we work very hard, both as a worship team and, and, and putting the services together, that we do not come across as performers on the stage that you get to watch. The songs that we pick out, we try to pick them out so that you can engage and worship with us. We, we try to think through that and pray through that, that, that worship is not to be a place where you observe. Worship is a place where you engage. So if you're thinking of the church as just a theater, just a place to come and be entertained. I guarantee you by the end of this week, you're going to find some better entertainment out there. I mean, you've got all kinds of stuff streaming into your house. You can, you can watch whatever you want to watch 12, 14 hours a day. That's why we don't compete with the world in entertainment because we're not an entertainment venue. This is the household of God. This is where we come together and we worship corporately. But make sure you understand that the worship doesn't end when you walk out the doors. You're not here to watch a show. Number three, another one. Sometimes we think of the church as a, as a big box retailer, like a Lowe's or a Walmart or a Home Depot or some big store that has everything in it. What does that mean? Well, sometimes I think we come to the church to think of the church as a one-place, one-stop, shop-and-drop. In other words, what have you got for my kids? What have you got for my teens? What have you got for me? And if you don't have all the right things and you don't have all the right programs and you're not offering me all the right stuff, then I'll go down the road and I'll find someone who is. You see, at that moment, you're no longer, well, part of the household of the family of God. You're now a consumer. And I'm going to consume product when I can find it. I'm only going to consume the best product. I don't have anything that I can give back or even, in, in, even, even want to engage in. There's nothing that I'm going to give back, but I'm going to consume. So you better entertain me. You better give me what I want. And you better make sure all ages of my family are taken care of. And then the final one, I think we think about the church as a tourist destination. It's a place to drop in and visit with really no lasting commitment. Yeah, that's the thing about tourism. You, know, you go somewhere and you go on vacation, you know, other than going to the restaurants and going to a hotel, you have no commitment there. As a matter of fact, as soon as your three days, four days, six days, or seven days are up, you're, you're leaving. That's because you're, that's not your home. And those are not your people. It's not your family. One of the things that all four of these false metaphors have in common is that there is no relationship, no connections, no family, no love, no responsibility, no connections. You can come and go as you please. And really, about all four of those metaphors, when we view the church that way, it's really more about you than it is the household of God. What do I get? The household of God implies a family, a family that looks after one another. 
a family that loves one another, a family at times that has to put up with one another, a family that is concerned about one another to this respect that if I don't see you, I'm wondering about where you are, a family that holds each other accountable. Paul's going to become very practical in chapter 5. And he's going to tell Timothy that in this household of God, there are people that are vulnerable. There are people who, who can't care for themselves. And the church's responsibility is to care for those people. I think if, if COVID has taught us anything, it's taught us how valuable relationships really are, right? Was there somewhere along in that isolation and that, and that shutdown, was there somewhere in that isolation where you, you looked around and you thought, my goodness, I am so lonely. And the phone calls weren't doing it, and Lord knows Zoom wasn't getting it done, right? I'm up to here with Zoom, by the way. That personal connection. We, we have misunderstood that personal body connection. And I think that, 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 that COVID has brought us back to the reality that we truly do need one another. What I'm reading with the experts that are out there, and Lord knows we've got a lot of experts saying a lot of things, but here's something that I, I, I truly believe is accurate. That even though we're coming out of this COVID season, I don't know how much longer it's going to be. We're not there yet, but we're a lot closer than we were there are still going to be a lot of people who are afraid. There's still going to be a lot of people who are isolated. There's still a lot of people who are feeling the grief and the isolation, even, even becoming suicidal in the way they're thinking. By the way, if that describes you, please, 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 please reach out to us. We love you. If that's you online, if, if you're out there, it doesn't matter what state you're in, doesn't matter what country you're in, if you're feeling the weight of that isolation, you're feeling the weight of that loneliness, please reach out. Loneliness is like a snake eating its own tail. What do I mean by that? Depression is like a snake eating its own tail. Here's what happens. We, we begin to get depressed. And we begin to get alone. And what do we do? We become more alone. And we become more isolated. And then we, we get more depressed. And we get more isolated. And then we become more isolated. We begin to make excuses on why we need to continue to be isolated and continue to be separated from other people. And the fact is, we, we get into this spiral. It's like a snake eating its own tail, and we can't break out of the cycle. One email, one phone call makes all the difference in the world. We love you. We want to minister to you, but please, please know we're here to serve you wherever you are. Paul is going to say that the household of God, a family of God, that we're connected to one another, we all came into the kingdom the same way. Different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities, different, as we would say here in the South, raisings. You were raised different than I was. You maybe have a, a different socioeconomic status. But if you are a Christ follower, we've all come into the kingdom the same way. We've all come by the cross. And in this, in this beauty of the church, God has put together through His Son, Jesus Christ, a family of God that is responsible for one another. Now, in dealing with this family, there needs to be love. There needs to be consistency. There needs to be responsibility. There needs to be accountability. And that's exactly what Paul begins to talk about in this chapter. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Paul starts out here with, with this beautiful picture. And what he does is he says, now look, Timothy, within your church, within your house church, 
people that have come to faith in Christ out of the Ephesian culture have come into the, the body of Christ. And there are senior adults, and there are young people, and there are middle-aged people, people of all different backgrounds and all different ages. And he says, within that church, within that church, make sure that the family of God is working together in love and that there is respect for one another. And he starts out by saying, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. He also talks about mothers. Older mothers, older women in the church, older men in the church that, that we are to respect and honor. Now, I'm not going to decide who fits into this older category. You can decide for yourself. So I'm not going to get you to raise your hands. You know where you are in life's journey. I'm getting closer to those, those years with every passing day. But, but I want to I speak to our, our senior adults for just a moment, especially in relation to our younger families in the church. Our older men and our older women of this church are not relics of the past. They, they are not people who, who you just walk by, who, who, who are taking up space in the building, and we begin to think of our senior adults as simply as people who are taking up the space who are no longer effective, no longer engaged. They're just here. They're just there. They're just coming and going. Let me tell you something about our seniors. We have seniors in this church that have been here really since the beginning. And they have given of their time, they have given of their treasure, they have given of their talents consistently over many, many, many years. And the church that you now enjoy, the church that you're now part of, the unity, the love, the, 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 this church as it operates is because we have had senior adults who've paid the price for many, many years and are still doing it today. As a matter of fact, some of our seniors gave above and beyond to make this building possible. Now, I don't know who gives what. I don't keep up with that. If you give money, I don't have a clue what you give. But I do know that some of the people who responded first in, in, the, in the efforts to get the money up to build this building, they were the first in line. They were the first to sacrifice. They were the ones who stepped up and said, I'm going to support this. Even though they knew the building was going to look different, they knew we were going to change everything around, they supported it because they loved Jesus. And let me tell you something, young folks, we owe them respect and honor for all that they've done for this church body over the years. We owe them respect. Our culture, our culture, and it's independence, our American independent culture, we have gotten to the point now where we just don't value folks in those senior years anymore. And it's a shame. I've, I've had the opportunity to travel in other countries, in two countries that just stick out particularly, China and Peru. Did you know that in a lot, most of the cultures of the world hold high value for their senior adults? As a matter of fact, in a lot of cultures, you cannot start the meal until the seniors are served and have seated with their meal. Nobody else gets a bite of food. Nobody else gets to serve themselves until... The seniors have been served by the family, and they're seated, and they give permission for the rest of the family to then begin engaging the meal. Nowadays, at a Christmas meal or Thanksgiving meal, the seniors are getting knocked to the side while the kids and grandkids are running to the table. I'm not being facetious. I'm just being real. We've got to a place in our culture where we don't value. We don't value those in their senior years because we think, we think, well, they can't use technology or they're not up to the latest and greatest. And we, we begin to relegate them as some kind of relic of the past and we just walk right by without any respect, without any, any thought of it. Let me speak to my 20-somethings in here for just a moment. The wisdom, the life experience that our senior adults have, 
you desperately need, folks. Okay? Because y'all doing some foolish things out there in the world. And you need to sit down with some of our seniors and just talk about some of the problems you're dealing with. And I guarantee you, you're going to get wisdom. You're going to get some experience. You're going to hear some things that, that is going to change your life. And here's the amazing thing. It is, it's, the thing about our seniors is they just get right to the point, tell you exactly how it is, and I love that. I don't need all the fluff, and you don't need it either. Just get to the point, and they do, and they tell us exactly what they think. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Now, hold on. Senior men, senior women, seen as fathers and mothers. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. You see, we all have a responsibility in this household of God called the church to love and respect one another, to, to know that there are people in this church that God has given us that can speak truth into our lives and help us to walk this journey of faith, that, that there is no less than people in the church of God, that we're all together as one family, and we respect one another, we honor one another. Unity, motivated by love, is the true test of whether we are a body or not. You see, we can, we can figure out whether we're a gas station, a theater, or a big box retailer, or we can figure out pretty quickly if we're a tourist destination by the love that the body has for one another. If we don't have love for one another, then why, how are we any different than the theater? How are we any different than, well, the gas station? You know, you'll fill up your tank. You don't have any particular love for the guy running the gas station, right? You don't know him. You can go into a theater and watch a great play, but you're going to get up out of that place and you're going to walk out the doors. You have no connection with the, with the people next to you. The church is to be diametrically opposed, different to that. That when we walk out of this place together, we walk out as family, not as strangers. If you are a Christ follower, you have a family. And they're sitting next to you. And there's to be love and respect within that family. John says this in one of his letters, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, he says this about the church. He says, we know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Did you get that? The, the church that doesn't love one another, that operates as a household, a family of God, that we're just as good as dead. Notice what Paul says next to Timothy, verse 3. He says, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Paul is going to raise the topic of widows. Now, before we get into that verse, let me explain a little cultural background on, on the way widows lived in Timothy's day. If a widow... Well, they're mostly in this context a woman who had lost her husband. In our context, it can mean either. In his context, specifically women. If a woman lost her husband and she, she had no children and no other family, then she was extremely vulnerable. As a matter of fact, it was very hard for her to have food every day. It was very hard for her to have a shelter over her head and have clothes. As a matter of fact, we find out that historians tell us, and, and Paul alludes to it in this text, that often these women who had no family and, and no way to support themselves in this Ephesian culture, remember, it's a culture of sexual immorality, these women would, would sell themselves in prostitution. Having no other options, having, having no other opportunity to support themselves, and, and living in a culture that was completely given to sexual immorality, then the, the only option that they had, or at least they thought, is that they would sell themselves to be able to feed themselves. Now in our culture, we have 
government structures. We have, we have systems and programs in place to provide for the most vulnerable in our communities. But here's the, here's the danger of this. While I appreciate the fact that, that our government wants to take care of folks who are vulnerable, what that has done is it's given the church the idea that we no longer have to do it. We, we've gotten the idea that's crept into our culture and into our thinking and into our theology that, that because the government is taking care of everyone, we have no responsibility for our senior adults. We have no responsibility for widows. We have no responsibility for orphans because there's all these programs being in place. If you begin to think that way, then you're moving away from what a church is supposed to be about. So Paul is going to give Timothy some practical advice on how to deal with some vulnerable people specifically widows in his community, with the idea that we are a family. The first thing he's going to say is that if a widow has family, if a widow has family, that family should take care of their loved one. Notice what he says. And it's a matter of discipleship. He says, for if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return for their parents. Listen to me. Underline that part. Make some return to their parents. Did you get that? Guess what Paul's saying? He says, if you have a family who have put their faith in Jesus, and they've got a, a loved one, a widow, a, a mother who is, or a grandmother who is, who is now a widow, that it is that family's responsibility to take care of that person in their own family, and it is a matter of godliness, and it is a matter of paying back to those parents what was invested into them. It is an act of gratitude to take care of your parents who are elderly, who are sick, who are, who are struggling to make ends meet. Children, it is your responsibility because before you even realized it, those parents were getting up in the middle of the night and feeding you. Those parents were, were clothing you. Those parents were providing food for you. Those parents were providing an education for you. Those parents were giving and giving and giving and giving to you. And Paul says the only natural response of a Christ follower is to show that love back to their parents and make sure they're taken care of. Now, I understand that there are some folks right now that have these thoughts running through their head. So let's just go ahead and put it on the table. Well, Pastor, you don't know what kind of parents I had. The parents I had were horrible. I had to fend for myself. My dad was drunk all the time. My mom was sleeping around or hooked on drugs or they were abusive towards me and my siblings. You're not telling me that I, I have to love them, are you? Pastor, you don't know how far they are from Jesus. They are far Far from Jesus. The context of what Paul's talking about is within the household of God, but you don't get a pass here as a follower of Jesus. Megan said it on the stage a little while ago, we are to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that translates into love for our neighbor. And neighbor certainly, absolutely, positively includes those parents who may have been horrible parents, but we are called to love them. Did you know it may be that love that you share for them that draws them to Jesus? Did you know that it's that unconditional favor that you show? Look, I, I understand. They, in our minds, they don't deserve it. From our human perspective, they don't deserve it. But here's the reality. You didn't deserve the grace of God either. That's why it's grace. So while I understand the pain and I understand the anguish that you went through, we still don't get a pass here. But we're called to love. We are people of love. And he says here, 
For those who have family, those families should take care of them. They should take care of those who are in need. Look down at verse 8. He says here, verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, Paul, just tell us how you feel. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? He says to not care for our parents is to act like an unbeliever. Paul's saying that, that, Timothy, you don't have to look far out in the Ephesian culture, and you can find people who are worshiping Diana, false goddess. You can find people who are, who are atheists, but yet they're taking care of their parents. Well, shouldn't that be found even much more in the household of God? Shouldn't it be found especially in those who are following Jesus? Shouldn't it be found in those who've experienced the forgiveness and the grace of God? Absolutely. So take care of your families. Not only does he mean take care of your blood family, but get this, he means take care of your church family. Look around. Do we have some brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers that we, we haven't talked to? We don't know where they are. We haven't heard from them. We, we don't know how they're doing. As brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to look after one another within the household of God. So that is Paul's first piece of guidance for Timothy. The second one is, starts in verse 5, is that widows have a ministry. Look at verse 5. She who is truly a widow left all alone. Right there, by the way, is how he defines it. A true widow who's left all alone has, her, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers. Night and day, but, he, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Paul's saying that even those widows who have no one with them still, as Christ followers, have a role to serve in the church. You see, we often think about folks as, as expendable. We think about folks who, who've reached a certain age that are no longer effective in the ministry, and we just kind of walk by and we don't even think about it. We don't, we don't even ask them to engage. We don't even ask them to volunteer because in our minds we think, well, they've reached that age and they, you know, they can't do it or they won't do it or God's not going to use them. But right here we find out that the widows have a ministry. Look at verse 9. He says, let a widow be enrolled. Enrolled in what? Well, Paul never really tells us. There's something between something that Paul knows about Timothy's church. But here's what I think it is. If you go back up into verse 5, you'll see that continues in supplications and prayers. Here's what I think. I think that the widows of Timothy's church have been given the responsibility to pray for the church. That there was a prayer ministry inside Timothy's church, and they were praying and offering supplications. And, and, and Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, utilize these people in your prayer ministry. What greater people with the wisdom and experience and what they've been through in life to be engaged in ministry. Now, there are specific issues none, nonetheless here. But not only are they to be engaged in ministry, but they're to have good character. Seniors, let me talk to you just a moment. I told you I'd come back to this. If you're going to be a mother and a father to this congregation, if you're going to be an influence to those in this congregation who are younger than you, then you've got to be an example to them. Maybe you've heard this said, or maybe, maybe you've said this. You get up to a certain age and you begin to say things like this. Well, Pastor, I've gotten to this point in my life where I'm just turning the filter off. I'm just going to say what I think. 
Pastor, I've gotten to a certain point in my life where I'm not worried about what people think about me anymore, and I'm going to drink whatever I want to drink. I'm going to smoke whatever I want to smoke. I'm going to live how I want to live. I've lived all my life within these constraints, but no more. I've reached that age now, and I have, I have free liberty. I can do whatever I want to do. Not by Scripture, you don't. You might have retired from your job, but you haven't retired from the work that God has given you. Haven't returned, but you haven't retired from the precepts of Scripture. I had a pastor tell me years ago, and I, I thought it was wrong then, and I think it's wrong now. I had a pastor tell me years ago, he said, the worst thing you can ever do for a young believer is put them with an old believer. Well, that goes against what Titus teaches in chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 says that the, younger are to, the older is supposed to teach the younger. Older men teach the younger men. Older women teach the younger women. What he was saying was is that some of the senior adults have become so sour and so angry and so bitter that the worst thing you could ever do is put a new believer with a sourpuss. And I understand that. But if you're a sourpuss, you're not living within what Christ has called you to. You have not reached the age, nor will you ever, where you can cast off the restraints of what it means to be a Christ follower. Watch your language. Watch the words you're using. If the only thing you ever say about young people is they're useless, then you are not walking where Jesus would have you walk. If all you ever do is look at the 20-somethings and say, they're a worthless group of people, I have nothing to do with them. If that's where you are, then guess what that is? That's bitterness and anger in your heart. And Jesus wants to deal with that. Thank God that when you were 20, the ones who were in their senior years didn't think the same thing about you. No, you don't get a pass. You have a ministry to do, and your character still matters. Young families need to see senior adults who love, who are patient and kind, who have all these years of experience and wisdom and, and life experience, have, have served in wars and have served overseas and have traveled the world and have seen how culture has changed. Our young families need to have some senior adults in their life who are speaking some truth into their life and some love into their life. We've got families, we've got couples in our church that have been married 50, 60, even 70 years. Young families, hear me, you could learn something from them. We've got some senior adults that have been through some hard, hard stuff. And maybe you are too. Maybe you need to go out with some of our seniors and listen to how they came through all that. Seniors, you've got a ministry. That ministry requires character. You don't get a retirement slip for your character. Not in God's kingdom. Not ever. Watch your language. Watch what you're saying. Watch how you're living. And pour into these young people. They need it desperately. The third thing that Paul's going to talk about is the younger women. And specifically in these younger women, where things begin to get a little bit more focused on this culture at Ephesus, and maybe not have principles directly related to us, but there are some principles here. Notice what he says, verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger women. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Paul says that there were some women in Ephesus that had come into the church who, who, had, who had lost their spouse, and because of that, they had, well, began to walk in such a way that was bringing reproach upon the church. Now that's something specifically going on in Timothy's church. And they're bringing condemnation not only on themselves, but on the church. Verse 13. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. And not only idlers, 
and also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So our younger sisters, our younger women in the church, specifically within this context, widows, He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, make sure, make sure you understand that those women, when they, when they have too much time on their hands, when they're not focused on something, they, they lend towards laziness and they lend towards gossiping. Now, is that something that's specifically going on there or can that happen today? Well, there's an old phrase that I was told as a young kid, you won't, you won't find this scripture or this verse in the Bible because it's not there, but the principle certainly is. Idle hands is the... Idle hands is the devil's workshop. Some of you got that. Some of you have had that phrase said to you. There's something about becoming idle. Now, that's not talking about an idol we worship, like idol worship. This is talking about just simply being lazy, disengaging from our walk with Christ. You see, the thing is, is when we, when we disengage in the disciplines of the faith, being in Scripture, worshiping, prayer, engaging in corporate worship, engaging in personal worship. When we, when we disengage from those disciplines, there's a vacuum that ends up in our life. And you see, something is always going to fill that vacuum. It doesn't matter what age you are. And Satan would love to fill that vacuum with things that will distract, things that will condemn, things that will bring reproach upon you, your family, and the church. Paul's warning Timothy specifically about this group of ladies who have had as their goal well, to bring problems into the church through gossiping, laziness. Now remember, in this particular church, there were already false teachers who were saying, don't get married. Don't, don't get married. That was what, one of the false teachers. The false teachers that had crept into the church, that's what they were teaching. Those are what Paul says. Paul says, so I would have younger, women, younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, give the adversary no occasion for slander. And that's just what Paul is saying is, is make sure these younger women are busy, engaged. Now, in his context, it was marrying. And the reason I say that it was his context, something he's specifically dealing with here, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in that letter, you don't have to turn over there, but in that letter to the church at Corinth, he says this in verses 7 and 8. He says, now, if you're a widow, if you're a widow, then just remain as a widow as I am. And his argument there is just that you continue to do the mission work that God has called you to do. But if you, if you get burnt in your lust, if, if you have a, a sexual desire that you just simply cannot deal with, then it would be better for you to go ahead and marry. That's what Paul says to the church at Corinth. So what Paul is saying here is something specific here. The principle that we can derive out of this is that any type of idleness is an opportunity for Satan to mislead, whether you be a young widow whether you be a young married woman, young married man, any opportunity there is of a vacuum, which means we're no longer practicing our faith. Well, then Satan loves to fill that void with all kinds of opportunities. Now, notice what Paul says here. He says right here, if you read on verse 14, I would have them marry, verse 15, here it is, for some already has strayed after Satan. Did you get that? that? And in this laziness and in this gossip and in this void of not practicing their faith, Satan will oblige and he will come in and he will fill that vacuum with all kinds of ungodliness where eventually when you look at a person's life, you can't even tell that they're following Jesus anymore. And here's the final piece of guidance that Paul gives to Timothy, verse 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, 
Let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that they may care for those who are truly widows. In other words, what Paul says to Timothy is, Timothy, make sure that the family of God is operating like a family, that they are taking care of one another, that brothers are looking after sisters and sisters are looking after brothers, and that they're both looking after our mothers and fathers spiritually within the household of God, not only within the household, but also within their family, within their genetic family, that they are caring for one another and loving one another because as they do their part, then the church is able to do its part, and that is to go after those who have no family, to go after those who are, who are abandoned, to go after those who've been shut up in a house for over the last year, who may be far from Jesus or may have put their faith in Jesus, but they're so isolated, they're so lonely, they're so depressed that they have some things running through their mind right now that is horrific because they have no one calling them, no one checking on them. Brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters here, Look at it from among you and see who is no longer here. Think about who you haven't seen in a while. Think about, think about who, who you haven't talked to in quite some time that you used to have conversations with on a regular basis. And because when we all went through this COVID nightmare, we all kind of pulled in, didn't we? We all kind of focused on our family, on our household. We focused on making sure we had enough toilet paper. That we're stocking up food and we're stocking up this. And but folks, we've come out of that now. And those people you were having conversations with before all this stuff went left, before it all went off the rails, where are they? Could it be that your phone call, could it be that your knock on the door, could it be your email or your private message on Facebook, could it be the one love connection this person hasn't had in over a year now, and it's the one thing that pulls them back from the edge? You see, that's how the household of God is supposed to operate. In the household of God, there shouldn't be brothers and sisters that are unaccounted for. I mean, think about it. If you, if you went to your Thanksgiving meal with your family and your, your blood family gets all together, your Christmas dinner, and you know, one, of your, one of your own brothers doesn't show up. He's always there. This is where he sits. This, this, is what, this is where he sits at the meal. This is, he always offers the prayer. He always carves the turkey. Or he always makes this joke. He's been making that same joke for years. And yet, here we are at Thanksgiving. Everybody's gathered around and there's a missing seat there. Would it be weird? Would it be odd? Would it be unconscionable just to move on and not even give it a second thought? Yet we do that in the church over and over and over again. You don't even think about it. Where is that person that I was in a small group with? How was that person doing that uh, we served together in the children's ministry, student ministry? Do they have what they need? Are they alone? Has anyone made any contact with them? J just as much as you would miss your biological family, should we not miss each other within the household of God who are Christ followers? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. So Paul writes a letter to this church at Ephesus. This is before, this is before Timothy was the pastor. I want you to hear what he says to this church. And this is, this is early in this church's life, right? So they have elders that are leading the church. Timothy is not the pastor yet. Uh, Paul planted this church in Ephesus. He, he spent almost three years there of his own time building this church up. Then he writes a letter to this church, Ephesians. And then in chapter 2, I want you to look at, uh, let's pick it up at verse, pick it up at verse uh, 18. 
Um, uh, yeah, verse 18, that's where we need to be. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are no longer outsiders. You are no longer on the outside looking in. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Notice that. Household of God, exactly the same phrase that he uses when he writes to Timothy. He says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Go back to 1 Timothy. Did you, did you hear what Paul's saying there to that early church, that, that young Ephesian church? He says to them that, that they were once aliens, strangers, outcasts. They, they, they were once dead in their sins. If you go back into Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2, it says that we were dead in our sins prior to when Jesus saved us and gave us life. He says that you were not part of the family of God. You might have had your role, you might have had your name on the membership role, but until you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are not part of the household of God. God is not your father until he adopts you as a son or daughter into the family, and that comes through faith, believing in Jesus and what he accomplished. He says that you were once outsiders, now you're insiders. You were once orphans, now you're children. You were once, you once had no one, and now you're part of this big old family, not just this local congregation in Ephesus, not just this local congregation in Lumberton, but we are part of a family of God that stretches all the way around the globe. He says in that text that the apostles, their teachings was the foundation. Jesus being the cornerstone which all the truth and doctors of the church are laid by Him. And then we are built together as a family of God with a purpose in this family to serve. And we are to grow together, to grow up into our older brother, Jesus. That we are to grow up into Him, that we are to look like Him, act like Him, talk like Him, live like Him. Just a few things for you to consider before we close. First of all, I hope you get this. I hope, I, hope, I hope this point has been driven home. The church is a family. Maybe you didn't have much of a family life growing up. Maybe, maybe it, was a, it was a broken mess. If you've not put your faith in Jesus, and one of the reasons you haven't done that is because of your broken life in the past, and you may be thinking, well, there's no way I can experience that kind of love. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what, you don't know what decisions I've made. You don't know where I've been in life. I can tell you without any, without, any, without any holding back that everybody in this room who's a Christ follower will curl your hair with the stuff that they did that Jesus saved them from, me included. That we've all been brought out of a pit. That we, that we, we just thought we knew what love was. We didn't know what love was until we experienced the love of God and His forgiveness and His mercy that gave us brand new life. And if that's where you are, and one of the reasons you may not be putting your faith in Jesus is because of that broken family life, well, let me, let me introduce something to you. You have a family, a brand new family of brothers and sisters who will love you right where you are, who will walk with you as you follow Jesus, as they follow Jesus. There are people in this church who will become an example to you. There are people in this church who can become a father to you, a mother to you, who will pour into you. But you must put your faith in Jesus to be part of the family. A church is a family. Every family member has a role to fulfill. 
And you've even been prepared to fulfill that role. You've been given a gift. Some of you have been given more than one. To use, to build up and edify the body of Christ. Secondly, the church has a responsibility to take care of the most vulnerable people. The church that God blesses, the church that God uses, the church that, that, that God takes and does unimaginable, amazing, beautiful things are the churches that run towards the broken, the vulnerable, the orphan, the widow, the ones that the world has forgot about and even cast aside. The church that runs towards those people with love and, yes, sacrificial giving, yes, meeting needs, is the church that God uses. And then finally, to those in your golden years, I'll let you self-identify. If that describes you, the golden years are not the vacation years. Sure, travel. Sure, enjoy this new stage of your life. But you do not get a retirement slip from the kingdom of God. You know when you get that retirement slip? You know, you know when you're done in the kingdom work? When you're down here in a big old long box and I'm standing up here giving your eulogy. That is when you're done. Between now and then, you're not done. Your retirement years are not your vacation years. But you got to be a person of character. you got to be willing to serve. And by the way, we got a whole bunch of young families that need your advice and your wisdom and your experience. So you're not done. We have Vacation Bible School coming up. Yes, we're doing Vacation Bible School this year. Second week of July. Wouldn't it be an awesome thing that when we look across all of our volunteers, I see some of our senior saints out there pouring their life into kids who need to hear about Jesus and be loved unconditionally. It's not time to retire. It's time to get to work. Father in heaven, thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for Paul and the way he wrote to Timothy that really doesn't give us a lot of wiggle room here. But Father, the household of God is a family of God. And as a family of God, we love one another, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. That love not only translates in loving each other within this fellowship, but loving our own families well. To do anything less is to look more like the world than like your followers. But Father, right now in the sound of my voice, there are people who've never put their faith in you because of their background, because of the brokenness of their family. They think they've gone too far. Father, I pray today that there would be some who would, who would turn from their old life, put their faith in Jesus, believing that He is exactly who He says He is. Father, may we be mindful of our family. May we look around. May we reach out to those who are hurting. May we be your hands and feet in a world that desperately needs to know love and peace and kindness. May we be the family that you've called us to be. Father, as we look at one another, may we not look at each other as aliens and strangers. May we look at each other as brothers and sisters who love each other unconditionally. If we can become that church, Father, we can become the church that you've called us to be. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.